0: Hello and welcome to Heart Yoga Radio. We're doing another recording in the house today as it is pissing down outside. So uh, you might get some ambient sounds of the rain lashing against the window. (laughs) This is the next episode in our series where we are discussing whether we're going to have an economic collapse in the UK and beyond. So a fun topic. (laughs) In part one, we covered historical economic collapses. So again, in the UK and in, in other countries, just to see what sort of things triggered them and can we draw any parallels between what happened then and what happened now. And then in the second episode, we were running through the long list of crises that we are experiencing right now in the UK and we, that was quite a long one that so we decided we needed a, uh, a a part 2 of the part 2 so this is this is part 2b where we're going to more focus on the ecological degradation and how this relates to our question of possible economic collapse okay. all right then so we're just going to begin by talking about the relationship between the economy the ecosphere and culture
1: yeah, so in keeping with the methodology that we've been using, which is to try and look at processes and interactions between systems and subsystems and bigger systems and smaller systems and so forth, what you call like embedded systems and, and enmeshed systems, as a methodology. And of course, we identified the economy and the ecosphere and the culture as being sort of big uh, uh, systems you know, that interact with each other in which, in, in which there's a kind of an embeddedness. Obviously, the ecosphere is the biggest one. We sit inside that. And the economy is, comes down a little bit. Society, you might say, comes down a little bit in scale. Because the world can change, a lot of societies, but all embedded in the one ecosphere. There's only one planet. And then culture, again, is embedded in, in the economy. You know, so it's, it's slightly... Uh, Marxist I suppose take you know superstructure base, even though like Engels, I want to say that only in the last analysis is the is the base de- uh, fully determinative of what happens in culture culture has got a lot of room w- wriggle room in this s- scenario, and of course culture you know culture is a is a site of struggle so it's a site of, of, of process of ongoing process a lot of which has a kind of a struggle character to it, so i want to I want to just do my analysis on the notion that we are in fact in the midst of ecological degradation and that will have economic consequences, addressing our bigger question. And I want to do it in, in the manner which I've just described. I also want to bring in the other systems and systems relationships that I, that I spoke about in the, the last podcast. And so I want, I want to think about the local and the global about that, the the small case of of the UK, and maybe even the, the even smaller case of the UK areas, districts, towns, nations, and then then the world, the globe. And I also want to talk about that. Well, the third syst- third system of systems that I wanted to talk about, which is psyche and world. In other words, I want to look at the kind of psychological aspect of all of this. Now I'm going to try and do this in one. Continuous narrative. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like ambition, is there?
0: Aim high, babe.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, that's the point, really, I suppose, in some ways. Okay. So I'm going to dive in with the first little area of focus, which is between the economy and the British economy, uh, but also the global economy, and its relationship with the ecosphere. This is a very fundamental relationship. There's no ecosphere or no functioning ecosphere. We're an ecosphere that's that's taken a sudden lurch and started to function in a completely different way, in a completely different register from the way it's been going for the last 30,000 years or so. But there will be no economy, because there'll be no... Because
0: we'll all be dead. (laughs) We'll
1: all be dead, or there'll be very few of us picking around in the ruins. Yeah. It'll be a zombie apocalypse-type scenario. I mean, that is obviously a a very fundamental relationship, you know, at the end of... People say, oh, we all depend on nature. I don't like the term nature, I have to say. If you go back through the podcast, you'll find a podcast in which I claim that nature is an ideological category. And everything's natural now. You've got natural shampoo, you know, natural natural soap, natural toothpaste, natural fibre. Yeah, you, you know, there's so so it it ends up it's kinda of lost its its force and its weight because it's been co opted by advertising.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, pro- which is advertising of course is just a subspecies of propaganda. So I tend to use the term ecosphere. But, I mean, if you want to just put it in something a a little bit more romantic and a bit less precise, no nature equals no economy equals no life. Certainly no human civilisation. So that's the the big fundamental relationship we're dealing with here. If you understand that relationship, it's inevitable that sooner or later the shit will hit the fan with our current industrial civilisation. Oh, yes. (laughs) Because it's posited on infinite growth. Which, incidentally, capitalism is posited on in- infinite growth. You can't have infinite growth on a po- finite pa- planet. This is, you know, the point that the XR people make and that gre- green politicians make all the time. And it's it's so self evident it's so bleeding obvious, to put it in Monty Pythonesque terms, that we shouldn't need to library. it. Yet, strangely, we do need to labour it. Because the whole industry Dedicated to ignoring the fact and making all of us ignore the fact. And I'll turn to that uh, shortly. So, okay, let's just look at some of the things that that are right in our faces. Pollution, number one, pollution. Now, in our human civilizational metabolism with nature, to steal a a wonderful phrase from Marx again, we do a couple of kind of very basic things. We extract. We extract from nature. We dig up minerals. We draw oxygen from the atmosphere to fuel, if you like, or um, to, to utilise in industrial processes and so forth. We extract water so that we have water for cooking and washing and human beings need water to live. We extract water. We extract minerals, of course, and we extract oil and and coal and gas, fossil fuels, to supply our energy. And modern industrial civilisation uses absolutely massive amounts of energy. All of our processes are energy. We realise that when we have an energy crisis, which of course we're having at the moment because of an inflation in the price of natural gas, etc., and we, uh, we saw that in the last podcast. We also visited the case of the, the Ted Heath government when uh, it, it, was, it was hit by OPEC, bumping up the price of oil, not because there was a shortage, but for political reasons, to flex their muscles. And combined with a miners' strike, uh, coal miners' strike, I, I have to, to add, the Ted Heath government comes down. So we've already visited that, you know. But energy, we, so that's part of extraction, but it's also emission. We burn the fossil fuel that gives off CO two, and that is uh, creating unequivocally global warming, which means that the mean temperature of the planet goes up with, with. Uh, Unknown consequences, in a sense. We, we know what kind of thing can happen. We're not exactly sure of the timescale, but we can be pretty certain that there will be unusual weather events, sea level rises, changes in what you can grow in certain places. And So there'll be more droughts, more storms, more floods. We know that for certain. When, where and how exactly is a bit more difficult to predict because we're, uh, we're, we're dealing with an immensely complex system, which is the whole ecosphere, in fact, to do that. But this has been known since the late 19th century. The first report predicting uh, an impact on the climate of the emission of lots and lots of carbon dioxide, which was happening in the 19th century in our coal-fuelled industrial revolution, and this was known in some. I don't know. It was 1890 something. There was a newspaper article about it. The next one I've come across was in the 1920s. It's been known for ages. I knew about it when I was a kid, and I talked about it to my science teacher at school. He says, "Oh, no, it's you. You needn't worry, because I'd spotted that the, you know, uh, what the CO2 levels were in the, uh, in in an old chemistry book I'd got from the 1890s. I had a collection of these old books, you know, so I could see how they did chemistry in those days." And, um, it, was no, it was known, you know, because you look at the figures then and the figures now, and it's a double, treble, quadruple. It was still like a small percent. It's only, point, it's, you know, it's a, it's a small percentage of that. Most of the atmosphere is nitrogen, you know. But he kind of it, my science guy. He said, "Oh, it's just, it's not much." You know. <coughs> and I was, I, I, even then, I was kind of asking some questions about that. So it's been known. a well, lot. Your
0: long. teacher loved you. What, yeah. What did, what did you say? Did you? Um...
1: No, I just because I mean I kind of re- re- respected him, and you know, I just but I, I but I let a question mark continue to hover over that, you know. This so we should be in the nineteen sixties, so we've known about it a long time, so, and that that is the the emission. You know, we extract and we emit, and just because of our animal life as humans, we breathe. You know, and we eat, and we shit, and we piss, as I mentioned before, and all of this—this this is our metabolism in, on the the level of our our animal life with, with with the environment or the what do they call it—the ecosphere. And we need clean air, and there's many parts of the world where we don't get it, including the UK. Now you can ask Google, and I, I recommend you ask this. I won't tell you what the answer is. Just say, "Hey Google, what is the Death rate caused by atmospheric pollution, which is mostly particulates and, and gases coming out of cars and lorries and internal combustion engines. And you'll be surprised.
0: Is that a death rate in the UK or globally? Well, you can get
1: it in the UK and globally. It's enormous. It's enormous. It's, it, globally, it's in the millions. God. We need clean water. That's water without parasites in it, without germs in it.
0: Without heavy metals.
1: Without heavy metals and uh, uh, toxic uh, organic chemicals, organochlorides like DDT or like Teflon. Everybody on the planet has got Teflon in their body, minute nanoparticles of Teflon. Because that that manufacturing process was improperly understood before they waded in and turned it into an industrial process. Everybody. Yeah.
0: What, uh, what consequences is that going to have, do you think? Well, if
1: you get a lot, it's cancer. Yeah. If you get a lot. In, ta- in towns where these factories were working, the rest of us probably not much. You know, we'll still live till we're 80 and 90. You know, but... and similarly, we need unadulterated food. And capitalists have been adulterating food forever. One of the most interesting things in Marx's capital is a big load of footnotes about the adulteration of bread. Now, I remember going to a sort of kind of a Communist Party fringe meeting years and years ago and talking about this. And they said, Oh, don't worry about food. You know, just eat burgers. You know, they kind of dismissed it. And I said, Well, Marx has got this. He went to a great deal of trouble to document the, even though it's in a footnote, Marx's footnotes are fantastic. They're going for pages, you know. And uh, about, the, about the capitalist adulterating the bread, you know, in Lancashire. And it's put like alum and chalk and stuff in the bread to extend the flour so they could make more profit. And not only you know food adulterated just just by being absolutely crap processed food. Now we talked about diet related illness, the the last in the last podcast, but I forgot to mention that you know um, obesity caused by eating pro- just living off processed food. Yeah, it's just like fat and sugar in the wrong combination, you know, and. Uh, and then all the attendant illnesses of that in you know middle age or even quite young, you know, it's diabetes, cancer, heart disease, circulatory disease, a direct result of you know overaccumulation of abdominal fat, pretty well related to eating adulterated food, you know, denatured food. And of course, all this makes profits for people, and it's all about profit. I mean, agribusiness and big oil are intimately related. Big oil makes uh, pesticides and so forth. I mean, and, and they've got a, a, a nasty history of um, making pesticides, which are really, really noxious, which kind of kill all the fucking species and, and pollute the rivers, uh, remote, killing all the fish in rivers, which they did in Britain in the, way back in the 50s and 60s. And then when, when the scientists were alerting the oil companies to, to it, Shell particularly, they went into denial about it said, oh no, that's not true. And those things weren't banned for a further 20 years because they've got so much political clout and so much money. Similarly, the climate change. The Koch brothers, uh, one of whom died last last year and we we give him an obituary on our podcast, David Koch died. Charles Koch's still alive. They've spent billions over decades uh, persuading the the U.S. government and the rest of the governments in the world not to do anything about climate change, they claiming that it's a hoax. This is exactly analogous to the tobacco industry denying that smoking gave you cancer, when they knew damn well that it did. And that that um, of course you know pushed back meaningful legislation and anti smoking programs by, by decades again. But the, the the Koch brothers did exactly the same thing: propaganda war stemming back decades and decades and decades to get climate denial into the mainstream. Now, 50% of Americans, apparently, according to surveys, believe that climate change is a hoax. Nigel Farage regularly goes on the fucking... on the telly and says, it's a hoax. Quite a good number of people in the Tory party think it's a hoax. You know, and there's this whole complex of ideas that we've we've explored elsewhere, which puts it in, all into the one basket... Right-wing politics, ethno-nationalism, magical thinking of all, all, all kind of stripes, flat-earthism and such like, vaccine denial, anti-vax, anti-mask, Covid denial, denial of the germ theory of illness, except it's not a theory, the germ explanation of illness, and climate denial all in one basket, all right-wing. You know, the far-right wing loves this shit, it's because it enables, it enables their kind of uber-capitalists to keep, to keep going. Because one thing they can't afford is, you know, pitchforks at the gates. They can't afford a mass uprising or even a big stink. You know, they'll do anything they can to stop a big stink, to stop the people in mass getting annoyed about what they're doing.
0: Yeah, maybe not buying their products anymore.
1: Well, not buying their products. But I, I think they've got a captive audience with oil still mm-hmm. for a while. So there's all that going on uh, I mean that's just that you know that's that's resource depletion. remember we're running out of a lot our stuff and it needs to be recycled even though they do keep fi- finding reserves we've, we've hit fake oil, but there is still a lot of oil and gas and coal and there are still quite a lot of a, a lot of various minerals but it's it is finite what is there is finite it's sooner or than later the shit hit's the fan now after 200 years of this industrial civilisation. Now, no, no, I don't want to say we've all got to return to the Stone Age and got to be Fred Flintstone or anything like that. But he's now going back, in many ways. And it's, it, at the same time as, as producing all of these negatives, it's also, it does mean that we live till we're 80. Whereas our grandfathers and great-grandfathers, say somebody in like 1900, could could expect to live till they were 40 or, 40 or 50, 45 or something. You know, in my lifetime, there was a time when fifty was old. You know, and it's, you know, it's, this is not to say there are no benefits, and we, we enjoy the comforts of this civilization as much as anybody else. But it, a lot of people who get dismayed by what's happening go really, really full on anti-science, cause of because in a sense, the technology, which is a spin-off of the science, it's not the same as the science. It's the spin-off of the science. It's the application of the science has been very very partial because it chased profit. It's not technology per se or science per se, it's the chasing of profit per se. Which means that you have to find a way of dumping your waste products of your industrial processes into the environment and not paying for that. You know, companies don't pay for the, the health consequences of that. They don't pay for the fucking clean up very often. So the volunteers do it when you get these oil spills. You get volunteers going down on the beach and, and washing the seabirds and stuff, you know. And then government comes back on the taxpayer, and they've escaped paying for the for this, uh, you know, for for, for, for two hundred years the capitalists, and they all use all their power and their clout and their money, and their ideological war, their propaganda war, to carry on getting away with it. It's the logic of what they do. Because they have to do one, what th- there's one imperative that they have that trumps all the others, and that is to make a profit, to, to you know to maximise value for shareholders. That is in the law of corp, that is in corporate law. So there's your basic thing. We want clean air, clean water, and adulterated food. Agribusiness and big oil are making sure that we don't exactly get it. The logic of capitalism is making sure that we don't exactly get it. Uh, it's a mistake to actually blame science even to blame technology in, in some ways, even though we should be calling for an improved science you know i don't, i don't think that we need to have a that we need to cast a rosy glow over science and this is this great utopian savior scientism we don't need to turn science into a religion that's called scientism it needs examining critically. You know, and scientists make mistakes. Science as a process is very, very messy. And sometimes they're human and they lie and fudge results and stuff like that. It's, it's a very, very human activity. You can't get too messianic about it. At the same time, you have to realise how much, how much it can give us, has given us, and how much more it can, can give us in some ways in terms both of understanding and in terms of this very, very human thing that we do, which is to sustain life preserve life, to survive but also to enhance life I mean the first people that decided to keep fire going, you know, maybe a lightning struck a tree or something and they found fire, it was a natural fire and they decided to keep some of that and tame it and use it for cooking and making pots and ceramics and then eventually for smelting metal, this is inevitable, this is what we do but the science that we've got now is very partial because it's not ecological science and it's not systemic science even though the best of it is what the science, what the climate scientists, to do, is employing this systems thinking. You need to think much more in the round. You need to think much more in terms of the of the, the various uh, habitats. You know, in terms of results. But capitalism doesn't encourage that. As I said, it, it it gets it gets governments and people to turn a blind eye to pollution and refuses to pay for it. Even though they're being pulled up a little bit now, they have enormous enormous power. So that's, that's that bit. So that really is the, the relationship between the economy and the ecology or the ecosphere. And it, it, it could come down to one, one kind of thing, you know, no nature, no economy. And if I can avoid that sort of slightly suspect word, nature, no ecosphere, no economy, or no functioning ecosphere that's in a kind of more or less a homeostasis. Now, what we, we're already seeing climate change, for instance, do is produce chaos, it's like the homeostasis has been destroyed by the CO2 and all, uh, and all the other impacts of human, industry and civilisation on the ecosphere. It can be thrown into chaos. It can suddenly flip, you know. So we kind of have depended on a, on, on a degree of homeostasis. That means it's staying more or less stable. Flu- it's fluctuating. I mean, we've had ice ages and stuff, you know, but it's be- between some kind of limits. And it can be thrown into chaos. We know this about systems feedback the easiest example is to get a guitar plug it into an amplifier play it a little bit with your back to the amplifier then turn around and flash the guitar to the amplifier and it'll the sound just increases into infinity and you'll blow the amp up you know this is the kind of destabilization that which is almost certain to occur unless we change our ways like now or yesterday The other part of this, uh, this little triad of, of, of relationships—economy to ecology to culture—we've already talked about economy and culture in the last one. But well, what about the relationship between ecology and culture? As I say, you know, we've mentioned how the economy and culture like mutually depend, you know, and all. So, the, and we've talked endlessly and endlessly and endlessly about ideology and propaganda and advertising and. Uh, manipulation of populations and manipulation of people's brains and their ideas and all the rest of it. This this is just a theme that just can't go away for me, to be honest with you. This is just this big question, you know. Anyway, so ecology and culture. What's going on there? What is the dialectic there? And to m- a little bit on pre-empting what, what we're going to need to do in another podcast in this series. This will be 2C, and that will be about... Um, about about culture per se, you know, and uh, so there's inevitably overlap because these systems interact and overlap and entwine with each other in all kinds of interesting and intricate ways, in which you, can, you which you have to get into the detail to bring to light. So I'm preempting a little bit, but never mind. Now I'd say that this relationship between the spending culture is a site of ideological struggle, you know. And this is what we just mentioned, you know, that that the Koch brothers have spent billions getting the idea out there, persuading the American public and the global public that climate change is a hoax. That's what I mean by a site of ideological struggle. It's a site to see what ideas will prevail out there in the discourse, in all of our conversations, in the newspapers, in the pubs and on, on the television stations, in, in, in the books, and on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest of it. That, that sphere of our, our conversations, our discourse. You know. And also the sphere of what people believe, and that is the sphere of psychology, and group psychology, not just individual psychology, but group psychology. How are people persuaded? Now, all of these people have been, until fairly recently, been working straight out of the Bernays playbook. I think we might have done a, a podcast on that. I did uh, recently, say recently, maybe two years ago, read Bernay's seminal book on the matter. Uh, it's just called Propaganda, 1928. Founded the, the, the advertising industry, the PR industry, and the propaganda industry, as used by the Nazis, for instance. You know. So there's all of that going on in this uh, relationship between the ecosphere and culture. I want to distinguish ideological struggle because ideological struggle really matters. I want to distinguish it from culture wars. And culture wars are used as a distraction. They used to divide and rule and get people fighting amongst themselves over nothing. Even though sometimes the issues are important, but they need to be dealt with for what they are, which is questions of social justice. Culture war turns questions of social justice, or even non questions, you know, even just irrelevant questions. Into uh, uh, tribal feuding amongst the population, which stops them from getting together, seeing what's really going on. You know, yeah. without the obscurity that these the uh, that the, the culture war produces, it's just a lot of sm- a, we have smacking.
0: absolutely tons of that in the UK.
1: Yeah, it's just it one big cul- like, culture uh, war. Yeah.
0: Well, it's not exactly a speciality of this country, but uh, the uh, the powers that be are. Unfortunately, really, really good at manufacturing, this kind of thing.
1: It's the only thing the Tories are good at. When it comes to <laughs> yeah. any actually governmental or organisational stuff, they are absolutely shit.
0: Yeah.
1: But they are fantastic propagandists, or they employ fantastic propagandists. I mean, this fear, just as an aside, has moved on into this kind of behavioural science thing, you know, this um, uh, use of statistics over large populations to gain little little edges in elections and campaigns and so forth and it's it's less interested in psychology it's it's actual psychology about what happens in the psyche it's, it's there but it's really sort of quite crude but it's more about the statistics and if they can shift the way a population will vote or not vote by one percent they'll they'll do it and you can win an election on these little shifts Trump got in in his first well he only got in once didn't he uh, Trump got in, in 2016 was it? Uh, just uh, through that methodology, and Brexit was pushed over the line by that methodology. So they've moved away a little bit from from the Bernays where it's it's all about specific ways of manipulating the unconscious. And specific ways of manipulating the unconscious. That's an aside, and we deal with that uh, 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 in various podcasts, and we'll continue to deal with that. Anyway, the whole point of the idea. Audio- The ideological struggle is to keep capitalism going. And a part of its trick, and I'll just give you, you know, the one example of the phenomenon of greenwash, right? Now, I would say, we've illustrated, you know, that capitalism really, given its commitment to infinite growth on a finite planet, given its commitment to the bottom line, its legal requirement to maximise profits, maximise share value and profits for... Shareholders, over and above everything else, over and above public duty, providing employment or anything like that, or providing good products or anything like that. It's actually impossible to really sort out the ecological crisis finally within the sphere of capitalism. But that, of course, is being denied, you know, and of course, all of this coke money and all of this uh, right wing money that's flowing into this ideological struggle. They're fighting a, a, a pretty well a rear guard action in many ways, but nevertheless, you know, they've got a lot of funding and a lot of people, and, uh, and as, you, as, as you say, they're very good at propaganda. So it's, it's a struggle, but greenwash. I mean, recently we had this kind of royal razzmatazz, I forget what it's called, but one of the royal princes, Prince William, sets up this thing, or, or is the figurehead or something, whereby they're going to give awards to people with great ideas that are going to do good ecological things. And I think they awarded th- three prizes at the ceremony. Million pounds each, GB pounds, one for somebody who'd come up with some kind of scheme for saving coral reefs. I can't remember what the other two were, but you know, this this is good ideas. The idea is it will stimulate innovation. Now, one one of one of the uh, myths of capitalism is that it stimulates it, 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 innovation, and that's why we should have it over and against any kind of socialism. It's actually not really that true. The every. If you've got an iPhone, every component in that iPhone was produced in, by a public body, either the government, the military, or universities. The genius of Apple was to put them all together into a package, but all of those technologies came out of the public sphere. And we have all this razzmatazz about billionaires going into space. But basically, all, all of that technology was developed by NASA over over decades, which is the US government-strapped military. So that's one of their excuses, and uh, this, this obviously this royal thingy, this royal razzmatazz of, of awarding these prizes at a ceremony, is a part of capitalism trying to you know, g- gain some of the propaganda high ground. It's basically somebody for it, you know, all oh, the royals have decided that their future lies with greenwash wash. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's called greenwash. I mean, the thing was put on, they said it was like the Oscars, with, with all celebrities in their best finery, you know, and flashing their jewellery, and, and the royal prince, the heir, the heir to the throne, awarding these, these things to, to perpetuate this capitalist myth that, that capitalism is necessary for innovation, and the other capitalist myth that they can kind of save us from the fucking eco-disaster And that, I'd say, is a part of the ideological war. This is how they do it. And they've thrown millions at it, you know. I mean, big oil has been doing this for ages. And I just sort of come across a thing, and I remember this, actually, that Shell Oil, I think it was in the 50s and the 60s, produced these lovely little books that you could put in the glove box of your car. This was at the advent of like mass motoring, when the working class started buying cars and going for drives on Saturday afternoon, and it was like a guidebook of all the lovely, picturesque places you could go in the UK in your car, burning your shell petrol, right? And and, and the the picture that was painted of the English countryside was of this this, this fantasised rural idyll, you know. And that that was like a very, very early example of greenwash. wash. And right early on, Shell got wise to the fact that their filthy business, which was polluting rivers and the soil with with non-degradable agrochemicals, you know, that which was polluting the air that eventually was going to reach a pitch that would kill millions of people worldwide, presented themselves as somehow on the side of nature. But of course, nature represented ideologically as this this kind of antediluvian paradise as this Garden of Eden and all that myth of, of, of rural England, you know, comes straight out, out out of this and they're pumping money at this and you can pick up these little books at, at, at your petrol station now now I got that from a really excellent book that I'm reading which is called um, Crude Britannia and it's by a couple of guys one of the guys is called Terry McAllister, I can't remember the other guys name. They're journalists and they write very well, but it's very, very well researched, loads of facts and figures. And it describes the people involved, you know, the the, go- the particular government ministers. I mean, there's a wonderful section about when Tony Benn was the, the the Minister for Energy. And this is going right the way back to the turn of the century and, and about the political coups in Iran, where the MI5 and the CIA, CIA took down the elected left-ish-wing government, replaced it with the Shah... To stop the Iranian government from nationalising their oil, just wonderful, wonderful book. I'm about halfway through that. So you could look that up. It's called um, uh, "Crude Britannia," and it's, it's marvellously detailed about all of this this shit that the uh, the big oil gets up to. If you want to know about the cokes, I'd, I'd get, get um, I'd read Nancy McLean's "Democracy in Chains," and that's specifically about the influence of James Buchanan. Uh, how the Cokes employed him as their uh, uh, intellectual prize fighter. It's a Nobel uh, Prize winning economist and uh, an idiot, like most of them. And uh, another book called Dark Money, again concentrating on the American sense, because the Cokes are so kind of ridiculously wealthy and so right wing. And that's by Jane Mayer. She's a journalist as well, but it seems pretty well researched to me. And then for the British scene on the money in politics, a lot of which comes from oil, is Democracy for Sale by Gabriel Pogrun and Patrick Maguire. And that's very that's well referenced as well. So there's stuff there that might help you to find your way through that. Now, a part of this, of, of course, is that this, this ideological struggle, which is the key feature of this relationship between ecology and culture, is the ideological struggle. Is that all the, the money and the greenwash and the hogwash hog that the big oil and their pals and their pals in the government are throwing at winning this, this battle? People are getting wise to it, you know, because on the one hand they'll say we're going to open a new coal mine or a new oil field off the Shetland. On the other hand they're saying, oh, we are at the forefront of, of, of developing alternative energy. What they've actually really done in the past is, when somebody comes up with a bright idea for generating wave power or something like that, which, which might replace their, their, their industry, fossil fuels, coal, oil, gas that buy that invention and patent it and then store the patent in a vault somewhere so it never gets made. And they've got a history of doing that whilst presenting themselves as the champions of the environment now. You know, whilst producing absolutely catastrophic spills of oil when the tanker goes aground or something and, and just killing an ocean as BP did in the in the Gulf of Mexico not so long ago. That's what they really do. But another part of this ideological struggle is that is that we've got XR on the streets and uh, making themselves unpopular as it happens, you know, and then this this new lot, what they're called, uh Insulate Britain, who are calling for proper insulation and a government program to insulate all the houses, which to my mind sounds pretty reasonable. Uh, bear in mind yeah, that it's it kind
0: of it disgusting. They have to actually go out and demonstrate yeah. to make this happen.
1: Well, there was one, there was one, you know, Insulated Arms for Britain or something, and the Tories pulled it. But they now released a thing today that they're going to re- replace gas boilers with heat pumps. And But they are expecting householders to, to stump up two, three, four, five, six k of their money. So it's, it's like only the people who can afford it will get a grant to do it. Yeah. If you can't afford it, you won't get a grant. It's a kind of pretty half-baked. I mean, Caroline Lucas described it today as, as, you know, just half-baked. It's the kind of shit that they do. So they're trying to look good whilst actually you look under the hood and it's a pile of shit. So we've got all that going on. As I say, these guys have been blocking the roads. And, of course, you get, you get to people in their gas-guzzling SUVs get shirty about that, say, I'm going to fucking run you over and this kind of stuff. There's a lot of civil unrest. I mean, it's not just Brexit and shortages and people getting involved in culture wars around masks. And stuff like that, it's not just that that's causing civil unrest and you know, the kind of thing we were told to expect from Operation Yellowhammer but it's also the fact that, that, that the, the, the ecosphere on which our very fucking existence as a species depends is being fucked up and, and, and governments are dragging their feet doing anything about it and the general public is dragging their feet about doing anything about it. Now, of course, you know, uh, uh, this government wants to look good, so they're hosting COP26, which is a, a, a big international c- uh, conference on, on climate change and what they can do to try and get some agreements and all this kind of thing to be held in Glasgow shortly, next month, November. I discovered the other day that uh, this conference has got corporate backers, what I call them, corporate sponsors, What the fuck are they doing there? And guess who they are? NatWest Bank. And of course the banks are culpable in all this because they finance all the oil exploration and all the the ecologically catastrophic stuff that our industrial civilisation is doing so that capitalism can pursue the bottom line irrespective of any other consequences. The banks are financing all that, so they they're just, they're
0: just desperate to greenwash themselves like everyone else, aren't they?
1: Yeah, and then the other one is uh, um Unilever, which I think might manufacture soap and stuff like and detergents and stuff like that. And they don't have a good history on, on the pollution front, I don't believe. They might have cleaned up a little they're, bit.
0: They're literally buying a bit of, like, a nice green reputation it's for greenwash. themselves, aren't it's, they? It's yeah. greenwash.
1: This, this, this crucial c- conference is, is being used to greenwash. And the other one, the third one, I mean, there are some others, but... The third one was um, Sky, you know, which is an absolute right-wing, fascist, big oil-backing propaganda outfit. You know, I don't think Murdoch owns it anymore, but he did, you know. It's 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 not a, an objective news source. It's a propaganda outfit. So, that, But apparently they've got into a bit of a quarrel with the organisers of COP26, saying that they haven't organised it properly, and I think that means you haven't showed our logo prominently enough. So this is this is what I call ideological struggle and I've just kind of tried to give you a bit of a cartoonish splash around the bit here, look over here, look over here. But actually we are a uh, washing a sea of, of, of this struggle and as I say it's going so far as to break out into actual social unrest, school kids strikes, XR on the streets you know, and then the, the gutter press, which are all pro big oil, because it's the same people. Basics, the same class, right, the oligarchical class, uh, doing a hatchet job on XR, and it's very easy to get Joe public to hate these hippies, you know, and then also then this guy, th- these lot chaining themselves, blocking them out otherwise basically, uh, saying we've got to insulate everything, right? And uh, again, the, the press engages in, 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 in demonising them. And the government passes a law just recently, or it's still in the Lords something, which will let the police put these people in jail forever. You know, under these new protest laws, anti-protest laws, and this huge bill where they've smuggled in all this authoritarian, infinite police power shit. So the ideological struggle is turning into a, a struggle struggle, a physical struggle. And I would expect as there are more catastrophic events, more floods, more movements of populations, the whole refugee thing is a part of this. And when when the the climate breaks down and you're getting unusual events, floods, sea sea level rising in parts of the world, those people are going to go somewhere. I mean, go and look up the population of Bangladesh, it's enormous, and most of it's at zero levels, it's it's on sea level, but it's half a metre above sea level. And there are millions and millions and tens of millions of people live on this floodplain. Where are they are going to go? I mean, there's a, a, a fairly respectable body of opinion that says that the, the Arab Spring was the result of bread riots, which was the result of failed harvests, which was the result of climate change-induced induced drought. Now, in Syria, which is still in its of horrible civil war, it's displaced millions, and those people get in boats, and they're so desperate. They'll risk their lives going across the Channel or the Mediterranean just to have a life. And the story is that there were six years of drought and foul crops in Syria, and then all the small farmers and the farmers growing the basic staple foods, the wheat for the bread and stuff, just went out of business, went bankrupt, and then they moved into cities. And then the whole turmoil that then then the story, demonstrating against. What well, was a pretty unpleasant government, and then there's a civil war. Then, then the social unrest. Then the place wide in it escalates it to a civil war. Then the superpowers get involved and have a proxy war. And it's still going on. The result. One of the results is that there there, there are millions of people have, have just fled from it. What would you do? You would flee. So there's another uh, unrest and and. Uh, Thing happens when you get populations moving like that, and we can be as altruistic as we like, and I like to be, but it will cause unrest. It's not a pretty picture when you start digging in. Okay, so the other system I now want to turn to is is the psyche world system, the way in which our individual psychology is. it's produced by the world and the way it then feeds back into the world and produces the world you know this is an interactive system but also have to consider psyche as, as as not only being individual but there's also such a thing as a group psyche and that's the kind of shared mentality that a community might have or a tribe or a class or a faction or a religious group a faith community whatever you call it a congregation and the, the one thing I want to pull out here, again, is what we mentioned before, is, is the impacts of the environmental degradation on mental health. And I think a lot of people are very are very unhappy because they know that we're fucked. In that ecological sense, you know, that all of these things coming down the pike if we don't get a shit together quick. And the effect on young people, I think, is... It's tremendous. I oh, know it, it pleases me greatly that they do take action, that they've done the school kids strike. But of course, on the ideological front, on the battle, on on the, on the on the the battle front of this ideological struggle, you get people who want to say that these kids are being abused and made unnecessarily fearful by lefty teachers, Marxist cultural Marxist teachers, filling them with fear just to sort of just to fuck them up because they like fucking people up, you know. I was just saying like Gre- Greta Thunberg, that she'd she been abused by her parents and then they'd turned her into this little robotic monster of something. But they were saying this when she was like 16 and 18. They used to say, well, in this country she could get, mar- she can get married and join the army. And you're saying she's like a child because she looks a bit sort of, you know, she looks younger than she is. I mean, she's now I don't know what she is now, you know. And I say, well, all power to her, she's talking sense. And she has the courage to get on her yacht and go across the Atlantic to go on, to go and bloody put a flea in the ear of the United Nations. I think he's a great kid. Yeah. She's a weirdo, and the weirder the better, if you ask me. You know, and she, but but the, sto- the you could tell the story, given that she looked kind of young, and she, and she's a, she is an oddball. No offence. To my mind, that's a compliment, you know, so I'm not trying to be offensive about her. But they tried to use that and say she'd been abused by her parents and then by the, 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 you know, the cultural Marxists who were using her as a kind of a stooge. I mean, that's the kind, that's, that, that is the level on which the ideological struggle can can sink sink to. So I've got all pairs to the kids, but I think their mental health is taking a bashing. I mean, I think generally this is all going to come home to risk because, you know, there is a cost to denial. You know, climate denial, the Cokes know what they're doing. They're spending the money so that they can carry on making absolute fortunes and this, this pathology of hoarding and greed, you know, the pathology of super, being super rich, it's actually a, a, a profoundly nasty pathology. Definitely. Yeah. But, I mean, there uh,
0: is, there, you think it's the only way you could possibly explain it, is some sort of uh, very extreme mental illness, really, where, mm. where you will just do anything to keep destroying the planet for profit even though you have more money than God already.
1: That's right, yeah, that's more money than God, that's a nice And you,
0: you prize having that much money over having a planet that's habitable, Yeah. that you yourself live on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I do think that they actually know what they're doing, or did know what they were doing to some extent. And like, like Big Tobacco knew what it was doing. And Big Oil, the other aspects of Big Oil, know what they're doing. You, you know, if you look at this, this stuff on Shell, even the way they were making themselves seem like the champions of nature even way back in the 1950s, they knew what they are doing. This was an exercise in pure propaganda. So, but I would say, I would when, 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 when their campaigns filter down into general populations, the people who, 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 who get swayed by this, are already in denial. They don't like to look at a very harsh reality. And who does? Again, human beings, we kind of like, we we, we turn away from the horror.
0: Yeah, well, we're and, talking about the ment- mental health there. Yeah. I mean, if you really do look at what's happening, it's it's, it's very, hard very take. hard to cope with
1: it. It's hard to take. It's hard to take. And remember, we're only on the second of of, of, of the system, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I
0: think we should change the name of the channel from heart yoga to maybe depression yoga or something I'm not, like that. I, you, know,
1: you know what, I'm, <laughs> not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not depressed.
0: I'm not depressed. Well, you we, we talked, didn't you, about yeah. it is it is still an opportunity but, but
1: my God, my God, they're, they're, they're kind of playing it close to the line. But they do know what they're doing. But the people who are on the receiving end of this this remorseless propaganda uh, probably don't, you know. And denial is, is going to be, for a lot of people, what, what happens there. There's a lot of people just in denial. Mm-hmm. And you listen to, I mean, what I pick up from, and this is this is very much gut feeling and stuff like that, but I think I could, I could probably illustrate it a bit more empirically. Is, you know, the, the, these people who won't have a, have a vaccine, you know, that they are actually in, in, in denial about, uh, uh, about the situation and they'll make up any reason, you know. Maybe they're frightened of needles and some people are pathologically frightened of needles. You know, I, I get the feeling of some people I know who are like that. Well, you're just in denial, you know, and, and, and if, if you say it to them and they, they have a job, they don't have anything to push back with. You know, I say, well, do you really believe David Icke? You know, or do you really believe this, this person? Because they don't seem that reliable to me. And I don't see them working year upon year, decade upon decade in, in laboratories, studying this stuff and staying up burning the midnight oil, reading peer-reviewed papers. I don't see that. I see denial in many, many instances. But when you deny, you only get away with it so long unless you, unless you get fortunate enough to get struck by lightning or knocked down by a truck. Because the repressed returns, and the longer you bottle stuff up like that, when it, the more toxic and and septic and malignant it gets. So when it does return, when it when it cannot be pushed down anymore, and it comes back, it comes back pathologically. And I think a lot of people are crazy at the moment. They are being driven crazy by all this.
0: Yeah, I think so. Too. But it's because
1: they repressed it and didn't look it in the face. Yeah. So there's my kind of psyche uh, stuff. You know, oh, it's obviously the other again we have resentment, resontiment, which we spoke about before, which there
0: but, is a lot of.
1: Yeah, and resontiment r- actually is, is kind of rational, strangely. You should resent this, but you should channel it. Yeah, you know? well,
0: they're going to kill us. Of course, we yeah, need to resent yeah, it. Of course, but, we
1: need to be angry. But if you ch- if you channel it into blaming, if it, if instead of like. <sighs> A rational course of action that's fuelled by a kind of in, in, indignation and, and, a th- and a thirst for the actual truth. If you replace that with, like, blaming other people.
0: Yeah, well, that's see the, the Tories constantly, you see it every day, they're always trying to channel away the anger, away from them to yeah, something else.
1: Yeah, but they they, they they create the anger and use it. I mean, this, this, yeah. when, when it comes down to uh, ideological struggle, you do get a battle over, who, over who's going to... Funnel the resentment, the resentment, the and the and the rage. Resentment's a bit more more toxic than rage. Just straightforward rage, you know, at, at an injustice. I think it's got a, it's a very clean energy in, in a words. If you know, if it's not this small resentment, it's this horrible smouldering, slightly smelly, slightly toxic thing, you know, and it, it induces people. I mean, nature said that, that, that they um, have recourse to spiritual revenge, you know. He thinks that's the whole mechanism of Christianity, actually. It was a lot of spiritual revenge on the Roman Empire, you know. Oh, right. <laughs> so, um, by the slaves on uh, against their masters, you know. But th- there you go. I mean, he's... Well, he,
0: okay, I can see that. He, had, yeah, he had some, yeah. good,
1: he had some good, good ideas, but it's, 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 it's extremely fucking dangerous. Mm. Either way, however you want to look at it. Mm. And as we keep saying... There's a big danger of fascism in, in, in this because it's free-floating and can be captured. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that the right, and the very far right, has captured all, all the kind of anti-science denialism. And that's why you get climate denial and um, anti-vax and, or, or, or downright just science denial all in the same package. You know, And there the, the is evidence that the, the, the coke money that they've been putting into cl- climate denial... Is finding its way into the anti-vax movement and all that, and the anti-mask, anti-vax. Now there is something sensible b- behind all this. You say, I mean, these, 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 these poor people have, have, have discerned two things, which are absolutely incontrovertible. One is government do bad things, sometimes through mendacity, sometimes through self-interest of the class that they represent, i.e., capitalism, and sometimes just through straightforward incompetence. And our government is pretty up there in all three of those.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know,
1: yeah. governments, but all governments do bad things. You you might like the Chinese Communist Party as much as you like, and they do a lot of great things, they do a lot of bad things. All governments do bad things. This is a truth, this is a truth, you know, universally acknowledged and, and provable. Governments do bad things. These people get that. Don't trust the government, you know. But And the other thing is, the papers lie, the media tells lies. That is true as well. They consistently lie. They are, for the most part, propaganda outfits. But from there, they jump off into this kind of, like, maelstrom of, 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 of fantasy, science fiction, you know, and, and psychosis, frankly, you know. Because, <laughs> again, it's quite hard to take, because you've got no anchor, you've got nothing to trust. yeah. So they say, "Oh, do your own research," and I think that means sitting on the toilet, doom scrolling through Twitter or Facebook. You know, I'm sorry, but Dave on Facebook. You know, very often, or in fact, almost always, has not spent his life beavering away in a laboratory or beavering away reading peer-reviewed papers.
0: They're more likely, or to even say... studying
1: the philosophy of science. Yeah.
0: So they're more likely to say something, of Dave, Dave, Dave from, Dave from Facebook, or. Uh... Or Karen down the pub are more likely to say things like, "The COVID is really story that made me laugh um, uh, before about the mice." Let's just put that. Oh right. yeah,
1: Some, somebody said, uh, "Do you realise that all the laboratory animals on which the COVID vaccines were tested all died within two years?"
0: And oh, everyone, everyone draws breath in shock, yeah, horror around yeah, the table. Yeah. Oh my God, that's it. Nobody has the vaccine now. But the kicker is,
1: and I know. Well, I actually tweeted back on this one. And normally I don't take the bite. I just—it's a waste of time. They're trolls. you yeah, are bots <laughs> and this and But I said, uh, uh, what animals? Uh, what happens if the animal's life expectancy is under two years? <laughs> and what are we talking about here? Are we talking about elephants? <laughs> you know, and I left it at that. And then I actually Google, I said, What is the what is the life expectancy of a mouse? Google, you know, comes back, the life expectancy of a mouse is 18 months to two years. So, so
0: yes, then I they say, did. They, then, all the mice died uh, after it, um, yeah, not, not because yeah. of the COVID. Well, actually,
1: they <laughs> uh, then, then I said, uh, You know, oh, are yeah. our, our, uh, our vaccines tested on mice? Yes, vaccines are tested on mice. And then generally, <laughs> after a period, they euthanized. <laughs> As a matter of course, you know, it's a part of the laboratory. But, now all the mice died of septicemia, and, 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 and you know, it's not true. It's not true. I mean, there's, there's a bit of fact-checking, and be careful with fact-checking, because some of the fact-checkers don't actually check the facts. You've got to be ever so discerning, but there are some good fa- fact-checking facilities. Be discerning. They're useful. Don't be discerning. You'll get misled. Bear in mind that the Tory party changed its name to Fact Check UK <laughs> on, uh, on, on its Twitter account. To, to keep having a go at Corbyn in the yeah. run-up to the last election. Yeah. So be, be careful, but there, there there is places you can look, you know. So this is the kind of shit that you get, you know. All the laboratory animals died and it's just a rumour, you know. And the truth is they yeah, don't they, live you, fucking two yeah, years anyway. Yeah, but
0: they would all be dead anyway. Even they if they died be, of old age, they'd they, all they would be, be, like, be dead They'd anyway. be dead of old now. age anyway, yeah. <laughs>
1: so that's the kind of shit you got to put up with. <laughs> And I would say to you, on this thing of ideological struggle, you need to understand that it's class struggle, but not a class in the sense of whippets and, and cloth caps. You know, class has nothing to do with accents, cloth caps, and the kind of dog you keep or even the car, type of car you drive. That's, that's a cultural idea of class that tries to get into the kind of you know the grain of occupational um, stratification and so forth. But the, the real thing that matters here is, you know. Are you somebody who sells your labour to live or are you somebody that lives off a, a, a share cheque dropping on the mat every three months or whatever it is, every quarter? You know, Are you in the 1% or the 99%? This is what you need to ask. But there is class struggle going on here. And using all the classic methods of divide and rule, uh, obscure, mystify, cover-up, and use money to achieve that use your wealth to achieve that so that we're, we're in the midst of all that and I guess I, like I said it has psychological consequences now the actual instances in the UK we've dealt with it floods, fires, globally fires globally what was it you you saw that uh, thing about the town in uh, pa- California uh, it was a, it was Paradise, a YouTube
0: uh, clip from I think it was ITV about a town called Paradise that had 27,000 people in California, and um, 85% of it burned down in a matter of hours. There was a woman describing this, who was nearly in tears and just um, mm. begging the rest of the world to do something about climate change. Mm. The, the fires in America have been, uh, well, all over the world actually, in the in the last year have been uh, absolutely yeah. unbelievable.
1: Australia as well. Yeah, oh yeah. We even get them here, don't we?
0: Yeah. We were really lucky this year, but last year we had uh, hill fires out in the Welsh hills.
1: Yeah, and it matched a right mess, did not it? So, I mean, just things in the UK, certainly uh, an uptick in in floods, um, pollution, Uh, and because of Brexit and because of supply chain problems that are partly a result of Brexit and partly a result of COVID and partly a result of general government incompetence, uh, 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 we're now having uh, some, some of the rivers that have managed to get cleaned up Repolluted with sewage in the UK. Uh, atmospheric with the government's pollu- blessing. With the government's blessing. Atmospheric pollution continues to kill millions of people worldwide and quite a large number in this country. Look it up, get reliable figures, and there are some reliable figures. This is not a pretty picture, and you, you don't see that in the sun or the express. There was also going to be a lot of disruption. I would say, and it's already started due to the emergencies, changes that are needed, like changing everybody's boiler is going to... And a lot of grumpy people are going to get very, very grumpy about that, especially if they have to pay, the government forces them to pay. Uh, Of course, bread wars... Well, okay, we haven't had any bread wars over here just yet. Yeah, not just just yet. But we we do have... (laughs) Any time now. We do have Priti Patel uh, doing an ethno-nationalist... Um, otherisation of of desperate people trying to come here as refugees as a direct result of that. And we've talked about that. There's also a, a, a recently re- a report which tells us about how absolutely appalling the biodiversity is in the UK, that it's dropped 50% in a short number of years and it's amongst the worst in Europe. Of course, crucial is when bees start dying out. And bees are in crisis because they fertilise all the bloody plants and all the food plants that we need. No bees, no life. just no, no ecosphere, no life. It's no bees, no life. And I, I didn't mention here, you know, it, it, environmental degradation isn't just the atmosphere, it's the soil and it's the, the oceans. And on the... On, On the terrain of soil, we do know that farmers are getting the gist of it and are using new no-dig farming methods. So when you plough a field, it it emits loads of methane, which is a more powerful greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide by quite a large factor. So they stop ploughing. and A lot of farmers are taking up this no-plough method. And you can actually get better yields if you know what you're doing. Because soil is a massive carbon sink if you let it be. But if if this revolution in, in farming... A uh, doesn't sort out its methodologies and D doesn't happen globally. We're kind of fucked. There's about 20 harvests, 30 harvests globally. The so soil is depleting like mad because of the industrial agriculture, which is based on a partial science and based on capitalism, absolutely having to ignore externalities in its quest for short-term gain, i.e. profit, and to do all the things that it necessarily has to do that we've explained in this podcast. Again, in this country, you know, I just mentioned it, you know, pollution of rivers and, and, and compromise of water quality if we're not very, very careful and already happening. There are some actual specifics which are impacting on our life in the United Kingdom and, of course, beyond. Again, again I have to keep reiterating this, you can't talk about here without talking about there. You can't talk about now without talking about then and talking about later. You know, this is, this is the way we, we, we analyse stuff. So in conclusion, I should say it's pretty obvious that the ecological crisis relating to atmosphere, water, soil and oceans is absolutely bound to have an economic impact. And we can see it already having an economic impact. It's pretty unevenly distributed around the world. Very rich countries can partly insulate themselves from it. And very rich classes and very rich people can insulate themselves even more from it. Poor people in all the countries of the world are the ones that get hit by this stuff. And poor countries in the global situation are the ones that are going to get hit first by this stuff. How, how far or how deep does it cut in the UK? I would say deeper than we think, because an awful lot of money and an awful lot of vested interest has gone into making sure that we don't really know about it. Even though, you know, that is breaking down. The ideological war is heating up with XR, with school kids, with the insulate people. And we'll see more of that, but we'll also see useful idiots steamed up by the propaganda outfits like the Daily Mail and so forth, and by big oil money and big agribusiness money into fighting back actually on the streets, you know, as a part of the general unrest. So I think the impact is going to be big. And obviously, a a society that's fighting itself, when that fight gets out onto the street, its economy suffers there as well.
0: Okay, so I, I think that's probably enough for today. So I hope everyone found that interesting. And we'll speak to you again soon.
1: Make knowledge great again.